personal views and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are their own and are not legal advice or official statements by their organizations. Hello, this is Debbie Reynolds, and this is the Data Diva Talks Privacy Podcast, where we discuss data privacy issues with industry leaders around the world with information that businesses need to know now. So I have a special, special guest on the show. I've been a great fan of his for many, many years. And uh, recently, I think over the last few months, we actually had a chance to do some collaboration together. And it was really fun. And I don't know why we hadn't thought about them doing it before, because we have such mutual admiration for each other. So Alexander Blanc is a CISO for VARS Corporation. He's also one of LinkedIn's top voices. He's also, um, he, I share the honor with, with Alexander. He's been on there for more than, like, you think you've been on there for two years. So last yes. year I was also named one of the top 20 global uh, cyber risk communicators. So uh, yeah, I can't be like you, Alexander, but I'm trying to get there. So it, uh, welcome to the show. And I would love for you to tell a bit uh, about kind of yourself and your background and your passion for cybersecurity. I am happy to join you again. And that's, that's, that's my pleasure. And you know what? When you say that you follow me for a while, I feel like I fo- follow you for a while as well. So that, that's funny. But uh, that, that makes sense because we are very aligned on the, on the privacy and in the data protection side of things and uh, very active in the field. I mean, it takes people, I guess, to spread the word and explain the situation to anybody else uh, because you have know, something that are obvious for us is not obvious for everybody. And also, um, I mean, we see the power of data because we are also in the field on, on my side. I mean, I'm on incident response and, uh, you know, dark web investigation and stuff. And when you find all these data laying around and you realize what you can do with that, either, you know, abuse with it or use the data for more attacks or uh, you know push that stuff and then you realize that people don't see that and then they must be aware so i'm happy we get to discuss all of that uh, you know i dive straight in the topic but that's it and then we were speaking a little bit about the background that was the question so my background um I've been in IT since the end of the 90s uh just right after university i was already um in the IT uh, server admin group at university, and also then uh, you know straight in the IT world before cybersecurity was something, and before cloud was uh, called cloud, we had uh, you know we were renting servers and IPs online on the internet. It was called like dedicated hosting and stuff like that, and it grew and and we were used to protect these, and um, so basically doing that for like twenty plus years. And that's a scary, scary time frame when you think about that. So we grew with it. Uh, I grew with it. And uh, I moved around the world a little bit as well. So, uh, so many things and many use cases and protected uh, many, many organizations and infrastructure, both from private sector, a bit from military. Um, always tied to private sector. I've never been in military myself. I work kind of a lot with them for some unknown reason. But uh, yeah, so that's that's a world I'm kind of aware too. And uh, yeah, that, that's about me. And today uh, I'm in Canada for a bit more than 10 years now and uh, working a lot on the privacy and cybersecurity awareness side of things. 
because as you know very well, um, leaks, breach, and data grew at a crazy pace, and we barely follow or even catch up on the security and data protection side of things. So that's where we stand today. Yeah, that was a good overview. Excellent, excellent. I would like to talk about, and this is something I feel like you do really well and we need more of. So in a way, I feel like cybersecurity needs kind of a public relations revival of some sort or, you know, uh, because in my view, and I've had CISOs tell me in the past that they felt like if they were doing their job, they should be invisible. And I don't really agree with that because I feel like cyber is such so entrenched in organizations right so when i think about organizations when they were building themselves or people doing business like 30 years ago you know technology was kind of a nice to have so they could they could do their jobs without technology right but then there were tools that were being created that sort of created more opportunities for people and and made certain business processes easier but now i feel like we're in a situation where so many companies really can't operate without the technology so what hasn't happened in my view to this point is that um, people with kind of your skills haven't risen in terms of visibility in organizations in the way that they should. So the fact that you're doing a lot of this um, this advocacy on LinkedIn is really important. And I think you're sort of leading the way to, you know, why it's important that people in cyber be visible, right? So you're an educator, you know, you're someone who a practitioner in the field, um, you're seeing a lot of these threats and you're helping to educate us not only about what's happening right now, but then what people can do in the future. What are your thoughts about that? Like about cyber being visible versus invisible? That That's actually a good point. And, and this is true that um, more often than less, people that are deeply technical are not very, you know, business oriented or, uh, you know, very uh, extravert people. And I, I'm lucky on that side because I, I like to, to explain stuff and I'm a, kind of a good communicator. And I've been also deeply in the technical side, so it's a good opportunity. And um, what we see, and, and you said it right, you know, technology when it came was a tool, but nowadays it's everything. Even on a personal life, if you do not have access to technology, you can do anything, you know, like paying your invoice or even just ending your life. So we absolutely rely on technology right now. And the next step is protecting the technology. And people first, before protecting the tech, they should be aware of the threat and the impact of it. And we realize when we speak to businesses that they don't realize the impact. And you know, there is that thing like the, um, quantifiable uh, way and qualitative approach to explain a threat. So usually the quantifiable approach is, uh, you know, uh, the impact in quantities, but also in value, in money, in impact. And that's more for the finance side of things uh, that try to bring meaning to incident to a decision maker on the finance side. And the qualitative impact is more usually technical, but it has to be tied to business impact. So this is something we try to connect and try to explain the value proposition of ending the security posture. I actually wrote 
uh, an article recently, uh, which is on the on a, on a website. Uh, I shared it on rcgt.com. Um, it's about uh, the value proposition of doing an IT security audit. And the fun fact is that uh, most organizations realize that they don't know why would they do that. You know, they think that everything is working, and people in the operation field when you ask them if or even if you push an audit onto them they will feel like they are judged or it's a betrayal from the management like a loss of trust because if you ask for an audit it means that you don't trust what they do and i've been there you know one of the job i did start uh, i joined as an it director in uh, in one of the jobs and I, I don't know was there for like a month and then the ceo came to me and said oh by the way i did sign for um there was an action server uh, configuration and security audit from a third party provider. They will come and check what's happening there. And when I first got the information, I was like, hey, why the hell are they sending someone else checking my job? You know, it, it was real. But I, I just started. And right. only, only later on, I realized that that was to help me get a big, better picture of the situation and use some lever, uh, use some lever with the team around to spot what was actually not well done or what was missing. You know, it was more an help. But the feeling as a human being, it's like, hmm, you're gonna check on me. You know. So when you speak about auditing uh, efficiency of cybersecurity posture or whatever, usually the, it it may lead to some friction. While it should not, because when you bring specialists or just another pair of eye on your situation, review the workflow, how it's organized and the maturity level on the security side of things. It's a great opportunity for the teams to actually ask for more resource because it's going to highlight the challenge they face to the management. While if they say themselves, oh, I like resource and they want, you know, management, they want KPI. <laughs> you know, why do you like resource? You know, where, where are you spending your time? Because I, I, something I faced as well, and um, I'm not a big KPI fan because I'm more natural leader and, and you know, on the technical side, I like to manage the stuff. So once I was out of resource and I say, oh, I need more people. And they say, oh, why do you need more people? Where do you spend your time? And when they ask, you know, to start to analyze the performance or how we do things, uh, I felt like, it's a betrayal of trust because if you ask me where I spend my time, it shows that you don't trust what I'm doing. But it was not that at all. It was just, you know, knowing what's the process, is it efficient? And and can we do better? And where can we help? So that was the whole thing. And um, so that's something that we need to bring today because we, we see the same on the cybersecurity side of things. So we should see that as a lever, a, a, a meaning for existing teams to lever more resource and to ask for more resource, help them on their security journey. I think it's clear, I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love if you're bringing up these points because these things come up a lot in day-to-day -day operations, right? And sort of people in their jobs. So I'm glad that you're talking about those types of things. I love to talk a bit about just sort of the juxtaposition of kind of businesses and the way that they operate and whatever it is they do, right? And then how cyber sort of rolls into that. And so I, I think to me that I feel like there's a disconnect in a lot of ways where um, a lot of times the business, whatever the business is, you know, let's say it's a restaurant, 
So business a restaurant, you know, their their jobs to make food and you know to have customers and stuff like that. And they and maybe the cyber part or the technical part, they don't think about it as long as things are operating, right? So they're you know, their their focus is kind of that, you know, we're gonna you know, we're going to run this restaurant, we're going to make customers, we're going to get customers, we're going to make a lot of money or whatever. But a lot of times, to me, a lot of customers, or not customers, a lot of businesses only think about cyber in a reactive way. So I think it, to me, it's more of kind of a business mindset where you're thinking, I don't have to deal with this because it's not a problem. So I'll deal with it when it is a problem. But the problem with that, with that posture is that, you know, having a cyber incident, depending on the severity, can put you out of business. So then your restaurant will close, right? So how do we get businesses to start thinking more proactively about cyber and not thinking about it like they're calling the fire department? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about to jump on the fire side of things. You know, after all, we need to bring a threat modeling, which is using super tight to cybersecurity, but they do that already. They do have a threat model like robbery, fire, and they have insurance, you know, for their stuff, for the business continuity from an operation, for, for a performance loss and financial insurance. But they don't see the tool from IT that took over the operation, as you said, right now we depend a lot on that, like, and, and even more lately, especially with the COVID, with all the takeout and, and all stuff, it's all every, um, uh, it's, it's hugely relying more and more on IT. And if you lose that stuff, it's kind of as bad as having a fire or, or a robbery in the end. And also it could be a, a cyber robbery when you have a cyber incident. After all, it's exactly the same thing. And then you know you you have the trust to the brand with customers, and if you if the customer get their credit card stolen at your restaurant, then it's going to be they will never come back on that side of things. So that's one of the challenge. And to explain that back to the threat modeling side of things, we need to translate the risk and the potential impact on the business, and also bring number. But that's something that's quite challenging because you know we all like I work in a MSSP a managed security solution, and one of the things we the approach in the communication side, we show you know, all the numbers, like uh, cyber incident costs that much a year, and each cyber incident is that amount of money on the business as an impact. It's like, you know, fear-mongering stuff. And, and sometimes I'm I'm blamed for doing like some <laughs> FUD, like, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt on LinkedIn, while actually it's fact-based. So yes, uh, you know, we are as human react over fear. Why do we take an insurance, you know, for to protect the business and the package, you know, the kind of package? It's because of fear. If the likelihood of a fire is pretty high, because that's a restaurant that you do a lot of oil thing and you know, it, there is a big risk of fire. So you will protect yourself against that. You will put a mitigation and compensation measure to the risk. So now the scope, though, like we call in the cyber world the attack surface side of things is growing to the extent of IT. So you, we must integrate that stuff in the equation. So you cannot operate right now your business without protecting the IT as you would operate the, the buildings and the people as well. So that's the message that we try to explain. So on my side, 
on LinkedIn, I do share a lot about the incident that we see, and they actually are very great learning lesson case. Each time there is an incident, we should focus on, under, on understanding how that did happen, what was the impact, and how could have it been prevented. And on our side as a business, it's more like, am I protected against that specific case? Can I be impacted? You know, the threat modeling thing? Okay, mm-hmm. there, there, there was a vulnerability, there was a threat, it did hit them. So do I have that same vulnerability? And did I place compensation measure against this? Like an insurance, a cyber insurance, but then the impact is also, you know, more about how long can I take the operation? You know, if we speak about the RTO, recovery time objective, uh, that, that's very cyber again. <laughs> but after all, it's we have to translate that to business, you know, restaurant. How long can you remain closed before you lose your business? You so, talk a lot, you talk a lot about the cloud, uh, right? So oh, the yes. cloud, and so you have this thing about cloud. The cloud, um, I remember, you know, not dating myself, but I remember before the internet, before stuff, everything was connected to the internet. <laughs> like when people would buy servers or do implementations, you have to choose, right? Whether you want it connected to the internet or yep. you wanted it. So now it seems like almost everything is thrown on the internet for some, or has internet connectivity. And I don't think that's always necessary, right? But talk to me a little bit about sort of the cloud and sort of the way that people misunderstand the cloud or how they get in trouble when they're trying to yes. do the cloud. So I feel like the, 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 uh, the advertising, right, about cloud is brilliant, right? So it makes it seem really innocent. You know, clouds are fluffy and nice, you know what I mean? So, and it yes, gives people yes. almost the impression that they don't have to do stuff. Like they don't have, <laughs> if something is in so, the cloud, there's responsibility that they don't have to do. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so so that's it. You raised so many points from shared responsibility model to uh, it's easy, cheap, cheap and easy and always connected. So. First thing, simple. When we were in the server era and you're on your stack and you wanted to publish, let's say, anything online, a website, you did need to take action for that. You had to, you know, to open a pot on your firewall, know which pot to open, route that traffic to the proper server, make it available online. So you need to work to understand how to get that connection and then make it work. So that's a lot of work. That was you know, slow and painful a little bit, but this is how you know your infrastructure, your data flows and stuff. With the cloud, and you said it well, anything you subscribe there is already online. So that's a huge difference and a huge step on the culture side of things where IT people used to have everything disconnected by default. In the cloud, it's all connected by default. Well, it depends on the cloud provider. Some have VM, you know, that have internet routing by default, some don't have, and then it depends on what kind of service you run. You take, you know, AWS is different than Azure. So uh, default settings. But overall, when people go to cloud, they want to be online. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, so what happened here is they also think, and that's the marketing side of thing you spoke about. Marketing sold them. It's easy, it's safe, it's cheap, and it's secured because they are the king of the data centers. They, have the, they are the king of the POE, the, the uh, power efficiency, uh, because 
they have a great density and everything is available all the time. So you will think that that responsibility is on them and you just have to care about what you publish. Like, like if, you know, if you take a WordPress site and you just think about the article you put inside that stuff. So they have these view, like more kind of the SaaS mod. But that model, the shared responsibility model, has have many, many different steps. And the deeper you go into the services, the more tweakable you want, the more responsibility you take. So that's one challenging thing. So, you know, they moved to the cloud and they thought, oh, we're going to need less IT and less resources to manage that stuff because it's all outside. But that's wrong. You just made something physical to something virtual. Not only that, but you also changed the whole world. You are the local isolated network by default, and you are on a public network by default. I assume you know we speak about public cloud, because if you take a private cloud, which right. can be an option, you basically rent a stack. You have the flexibility of the cloud, but this is your stuff, and you still need to manage the connection. Right. So public cloud, this is where like every issue, uh, most of the issue happen uh, on the data leak and data protection. Th there is that thing. So that's one side of the things, and. When people get there also, the environment of the cloud is changing quite fast. They get new features, new option, configuration, interface change. So what you learned, if you did learn, is changing on a regular basis. So that's a challenge for organization. I don't know if you, I mean, you must remember that you've been in working in organization or I've been working in organization where getting training was a challenge. If you want to subscribe to an online course or if you want to go for certification, then it's quite challenging to, uh, to get it because they don't want to pay for, for training. But in the cloud, it's even worse. You need constant training, constant learning because that thing is changing all the time. The best practices are changing as well. And cloud is doing its job. They enhance, change, bring a better offer. The restaurant that had the nephew that was doing the IT is going to be the same people they're going to ask to put the website online and they're going to go cloud so who's going to do the cloud that's going to be in a few and, and you know if you go in bigger organization smbs you get you had one it guy sometimes that's the accounting guy that goes the it as well and as you grow you get more and more dedicated people to the stuff but in the end you don't have project manager you don't have coordination and the cloud itself is a full project so what, what will work locally, you know, you have some server stacked and you could take backups and you're good to go because it was working. You had a backup that was good. You don't need a formal uh, process, formal documentation. When it moved to the cloud, that's another story. It's a full project management. So you need a project manager or someone technical with a project management mindset that will document, that will maintain, and that will communicate all the implementation so as anyone else involved can work with it. And then you got these SMBs because they are, I mean, well, I was about to say they are the biggest amount of uh, impacted company by cyber incident, but we saw so many big companies as well. I mean, even uh, T-Mobile uh, that get that breach. And, and that was a kind of a fun one technically in the end because it was just a basic stuff that was forgotten. So that's another story, you know, when the team grows so much, that we lose control and visibility on the stack. And we end up forgetting these operations that were like either temporarily or PolySecure was a test, a test site. So, so what we see, and it's, um, it's actually converging route, is that we need proper governance. We need 
actually a formal management process. IT has been quite a nice ride in the 90s, in 2000, even 2010. But now we see that given the threat landscape, given the evolution of all the, the leaks, the breach, the abuse, and the threat actors that go extremely smart and fast, threat actors, scary people are very smart, they learn fast, and they do adopt technology extremely fast. So basically, they are faster than us, and they are more efficient than us. So there is no alternative than becoming more formal, getting your stuff in order, having a proper inventory. That's not new. These were best practices back then in IT. But if you will not do it, it could still work. Today, with clouding, if you don't do it right, it's not going to take long for you to get pound because a single misconfiguration, which is, I don't know the number, but like more than 70% of the data leak are misconfiguration, you know, open bucket, open blob storage. And that's because of lack of governance. And this is lack of time, resource, and prioritization. So we were speaking at the beginning about speaking to the board, speaking to the management, and asking for resource. They should know that if you go cloud, you're going to need more than that. You're going to need skills, and you're going to need new tools. Because tools exist. You know There are some amazing tools that you run on your AWS or Azure, and they will pinpoint all the misconfiguration. They will run. You connect that stuff to your cloud. I think one is called Wiz or something. And um, you connect them to your cloud. It's going to say, oh, you have fully open access on that resource. That resource is also not protected. And you don't have any governance on that side of things. So if you run these tools, it's going to help you fix the issues. So solution, technical solution exists. Now, privacy. I don't know. I speak alone. I don't know if you want to say anything. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, I would love to get on privacy. But let's talk a little bit about kind of data right so in my mind the way business people often think about cybersecurity is like a castle right so we need someone to guard the gates or we need thicker walls or taller walls to keep people out but really there are things that happen inside the castle that can be a problem so for me i always think you know how can you minimize your risk because you can't always keep the intruder out of the gate and a lot of times the 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 problem is inside the castle already. So how do you turn this kind of idea about protecting the gate? So the gate is important, right? But how do you minimize the risk by looking at protection at a data level? So there is no more castle. <laughs> there is no more gate. There are many gates if you look at it, but the data is still there and the data is spreading. Uh, you know, we say the perimeter is gone. Uh, but the thing is, that's right. What we used to see as a castle protecting the assets in a restricted area, like you lock a building or you have a server room and stuff like that, that's no longer the case because data is moving around. COVID, everybody moved out, work from home with data. You have it on the laptop. You, you, you have that moving everywhere. So there is a new perimeter, which is the data itself. And to protect the data, First of all, we know we, we must know what we have. So we fall back on the inventory of the data. And then we need the, oh, the fancy word, DLP, data leak protection. <laughs> well, good news, people, DLP won't work if you do not have data classification. 
and you do not have that data classification if you do not classify it yourself. And classifying data is extremely painful. <laughs> right. Know it what? Is. Yeah. Know what you have, and for every amount of data or type of data you have, you must tag it and classify it as a certain category. It doesn't have to be too granular. I mean, you can go that folder is HR. That's going to be sensitive HR information. But thinking about folders is also an old view. When we had a NAS and you had shared folder and each people had the right to access this stuff. Now we have Google Drive, we have uh, OneDrive, we have the people use Dropbox and all that stuff. And data is synced on many laptops and the restriction is much more tricky. So when you go on the cloud side and you want to protect the data, oh boy, you need an army of technical, technical solution to help you in that if you want to, to have visibility where the data is going, who is accessing it. So you need audit trails. And you also need to be able to know when the data is sent out. Like we saw that there was in the news in Quebec, uh, in Canada, one of the bank, uh, one of the employees stole the customer information, like million of customer and sold it to a broker of something. So eventually they caught it, but that was kind of too late. And, and if you think about that, they actually saw it. And I, I don't think many organizations, especially in the SMB market, have the actual capability to know if someone stole the data. I'm not speaking about ransomware or just deletion or whatever. Just some of your employee take a USB drive and copy all your provider information. Would you know it? Most likely not. This is where DLP, governance and data classification kicks in. Now, because we can go deep on that, even if you have the governance and you have all your data classified and everything, you have visibility. The threat actor know that and they're gonna steal the credential and they are going to impersonate an employee and access to stuff they are supposed to access. This is hence the uh, CEO and, uh, and uh, impersonation when they try to access information as a, as a user, as an employee. And that the system cannot make a difference between what's a real user and what's a fake user if I steal your credential. So people now come with zero trust, amazing concept. Zero trust, is more, I mean, should be seen more as a framework and a guidance to implement more security control than an actual pure technology solution. When you put your data asset on the cloud, it's not only you. You take a decision for whoever the data information belongs to. This is where we reach privacy. You as a company have customers, partners, and you have their data, and you decide to put that in the cloud. So you take a risk acceptance on behalf of these people. And these people have expectations. This is what GDPR tried to fix. And this is why it becomes tricky <laughs> because I don't want anyone to decide on my behalf if my data is worth being protected or not. And right now the market is at that stage. You give away your data and the data controller, the one who actually, well, the, the, the operation, the company that have this data can decide what they do with it. They can decide if they can, if they want to sell it. So uh, this is where like legislation, 
laws, data protection laws come in place, they are supposed to restrict that kind of access either. I mean, we see Facebook behavior and we can see that there are many ways to work around the law. <laughs> and, um, and then you got the, the, the compliance requirement that put organization supposedly responsible of the data management. And we bounce back to the shared responsibility model of the cloud. And you know, if you have the thing on-prem, it's all on you. Your server, your environment, your data, it's there, your issue. One of your employee, steal the data, it's you as an organization are responsible. Cloud side, you have all these parameters plus the cloud provider and the shared responsibility model that is well-defined and well-documented. But it becomes complex when your data move across SaaS toward IIS, infrastructure as a service, where you are supposed to be responsible of the server and the system. And then you move back to SaaS, where you are only responsible of configuring the SaaS security option. And all these things are extremely complex to manage. And this is why today it's very blurry and organizations don't even know. It's not even bad, bad uh, intent. They, they just try to operate in that dynamic environment in the cloud where there is no real ability for a cloud customer to respect the governance and the data protection. I think the thing that privacy is doing, hopefully that I think will improve, you know, what I see in terms of companies keeping too much data or, you know, stockpiling data or putting things in back room or throwing stuff in the cloud to me is, um, you know, a lot of these laws have uh, have stipulations about tying data to purpose. So once the purpose has ended, right, data should be deleted or removed or returned to the individual. And that's something that we didn't have in the past. So I feel like right now we're in a situation where companies who ignore that data that didn't have any reason or having good reason to delete stuff. They just kept stuff all along. Now we're seeing with a lot of these data breaches and stuff, a lot of them that come up, uh, a lot of them are from legacy data. So this is the stuff that was not, didn't have like a high business purpose at the moment, right? It may have been put on a system that wasn't as secure or you know not the high top priority of the company at the moment, but then became like a huge risk at the end. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this is true. I mean, and that comes from IT on the legacy side of things where we had to protect data and preserve and archive. You know, the first challenging was tape archive where you need to keep track. And that comes from the accounting where we need to keep track of all the transactions to prove the well behavior for like many years back. So we applied the same policies and storage to data which was not a big deal and we didn't have regulation because it was not connected to internet. So basically the value, you know, that the data market was not that big before. And that culture had to shift. But as you said, well, if you remove this data from this system, they will stop working because a lot of the system, the legacy system are not supported anymore, not developed anymore. And yet, a lot of them still power critical infrastructure and critical systems. So there is a very big challenge. And also, the threat landscape and the threat model totally evolved quickly since then. 
So when we see, and we bump on that same thing, because it's the same thing for IoT and IIoT and industrial control systems. They were designed to hold the system with safety measure, like people protection, people safety for 100 years, but they were not designed to be connected. So now we connect that everything. Same thing with the legacy stuff. And we cannot modify them because they actually support critical operation. So this is not something we cannot stop the watering, we cannot stop the power grid. Uh, and this stuff on which we build the stack, pretty much that we build internet on TCP IP, which is unsafe by design, <laughs> we, same as the email, um, we patch and try to bend it everything like that but but it's extremely challenging because the shift is slow it's it's funny because technology and cloud is evolving so fast but the change management on the critical infrastructure is extremely slow so we cannot comply with previous systems so what you know there are technical solution again we don't like of technical solution take zero trust you can have micro segmentation on network and blind all this data on the legacy system. But the issue is that the, the need and the operation need where they want access remotely to what was only local before. And that's due to change in the, you know, the workforce is moving. We want to work remote, so we need access. And in the rush of changing, same as the rush of digital transformation, we forget the security by design. And when I say security, I think about CIA, not the agency, but just confidentiality, integrity, availability. We focus on availability, a bit less on integrity and not at all on confidentiality. What what kind of uh, sort of what I call low tech or no tech advice that you can give to companies? Just some basic stuff that you feel like. So I'm sure you watch these, you know, uh, ransomware, cyber attack things really closely. And I do too, because I want to know sort of how it happened, right? And a lot of times it is basic stuff that happens, right? So someone posted their password on their computer and they have high access <laughs> to stuff. Um, so, so, what, so some basic low-tech low and no-tech things that companies can think about. You know, on normal day, I would say, put multi-factor authentication, have password managers, spread that stuff, and don't connect what don't need to be connected. But I've been on incident response, you know, people victim of this stuff. And you give advice to how to fix it. And this is simple. You just have to set that stuff and we explain how to do it. But yet, they don't do it. <laughs> so today, like just today, before we start to speak, I was very desperate because I was wondering what is going to trigger the change? What is going to trigger the care, you know, the responsibility, accountability? How can we bring that back? That's my question today. Because we don't have technical challenge. We know how to do it. We can do it. It's more how will they hold do it? Because people don't seem to care. So I came to think like impact is not yet strong enough <laughs> for a change to happen. 
I think uh, Chris Roberts said that, you know, until we get casualties, people won't just move. Um, so I, I will continue to spread awareness you know, on best practices. Like organization, you should have backups. You should not have data that you don't need. That's a basic. If you need to adopt, you know, governance, just don't store what you don't need because that's a liability that is useless to you and bring no value. It's simple. And um, but then, you know, how to get people care? Should we get some extra bonus for people? You know. We do well on awareness training. That could be something. Learning how it works. And again, I understand if we if we go back at the beginning of the hour when we spoke about the restaurant. You know, the employee of a restaurant at the cash register. How to make sure that they follow the proper security stuff? Let's say on the credit card thing. You know, how to protect the customer data? What's going to be the incentive for them not to miss? I, I would like to avoid ending like China, where you have you know that social credit rating. Because when you think about that, what they did in China, the government, uh, social credit rating, everybody knows they are being watched. And when someone is watching, you do it right. <laughs> but honestly, I am, I aim the human nature to do better than that. We we should be able to do better than that without being big brother because I, I value privacy. I think you too. So yeah, maybe it's going to be a trade-off. If you don't care about the data protection, you're going to lose privacy. We're going to just watch you nonstop. Yet people buy the smart speakers and the ring doorbell and stuff, and they still give away privacy. So, <laughs> so if Alexander had his wish about anything in the world about privacy and you know we did everything that you, you say right if it was world according to you what <laughs> would you want privacy to be either in regulation and technology and how humans deal with data what are your thoughts it's 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 a challenging stuff because i am where i am and i would i, I would love to see everything encrypted and any access to the encrypted data be a one-time token for whoever I allow to achieve so, basically. And I could do like a monthly stuff, you know, you want to, to take money from my bank, I'm going to allow you a token once a month and I will validate it. So I have control. I could automate my choice, but, you know, give control on people. But I understand that a lot of people just don't want to think about it because <laughs> you are in the field. I am in the field. I do that all the time. But if I'd be, I don't know, a delivery guy or, you know, just uh, cutting the grass for people around, I would not wish to spend all my time on my device, you know, just to do simple things. So it's very challenging. But what is sure is I expect this, the, any service provider, third-party provider to encrypt everything, to apply the best practices. And maybe we should have a rating. You know, now today we have like some certification, ISO uh, 27001 or whatever certification you want. If we could have a public rating when you go and shop anywhere and you know what kind of risk, like the ecology, um, I think in Europe, I don't know if it's the same here, you have this um, ecology rating of the consumption of the stuff, power consumption of your device. 
I think we have it here too. Um, the power efficiency. We should have the data protection efficiency. So when you go somewhere, you can actually assess the risk in a simple way and accept to do that. And if you want to access something, we should have the ability to use fake identity tied to us. I don't know how we can do that, you know, but I can be Alexandre Blanc, but if I go in some one-time use place, I'm going to get an activity, I should be able to use something a one-time use. So even if that organization get breached, whatever happened, I don't care because that cannot be used anywhere else. A bit like these um, one-time credit card use, but for your identity. I love that idea where you sort of rate the risk almost like the energy use. So let's say the risk is 90% or not, you know, like from yeah. one to a hundred, you know, if you do this thing as a 90, you know, on a scale of one to a hundred, or maybe it's a 20 or a 30. And then that way you can compare. Cause right now people can't, they don't have any frame of reference. Right. So that's right. You know, yeah. if, you, and, if you use a coupon to buy shoes or something, you don't know where your data is going. You don't know what the risk is and what you don't yeah. even know the data that they're collecting. Right. Not just that's the fact right. You're on a website that fingerprint you and, uh, you know, take additional information that you never yeah. intended to, to share. Yeah. And for each risk rating, we could have some basic recommendation to mitigate that from the user standpoint. You know, that shop is dangerous. If you pay with your credit card, pay with cash that you just compensate the risk on your own. And if, if and, and that people will understand, you know, you have that risk and what to do to compensate that you still want. We understand that you want that. So is what action you should do and what you should not do. So uh, that could be something after all, because then consumer cannot be blaming anyone for not knowing. Because right now the issue is that we trust blindly without any way to take uh, well correctly informed decision. There is no informed decision right now. So everybody speak about data centric. Okay, let's risk rate every business, every solution. And when you deal with this organization, you know the rating, it's not a big deal. The organization doesn't want to put any effort. They're gonna be a F. And F will mean that there is no protection on this, 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 and that. And as a consumer, we just adjust, no worry, no, no, no worry. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love that. that. Oh my goodness. That's brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. I wouldn't expect no less for you. So that's great. That's great. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much. This has been great. Um, I hope we have more chances to collaborate in the future. I really enjoy the knowledge that you share and I learned so much from you and your, your newsletters are epic. So it takes me a while oh, yes. to get through those, but uh, it's definitely worth it because you sort of keep on top of all these things. And so, you know, I yes. love your passion. I like the fact that, you know, I always tell you on online that we don't deserve you. So I feel bad when I read your <laughs> newsletter. So I'm like, oh my God, you put together so much information. This is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. You know, it help, helps me a lot because I can help you curate so much information. It's like, it helps me not to have to look for some of that stuff. So it's great. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely talk soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. you being on the show. Bye-bye. <laughs>